This is Not Complicated, Just Green, and it's time for an installment of Common Sense for Better Construction. We're bridging the information gap to help you reach a brighter future in the built world. Today's episode is sponsored by Creative Interface Architecture and Interiors, making sustainable construction practically impactful. Check us out at www.creativeinterface.design. Welcome friends, I'm your host James, and I'm very excited to present the third and final part of the series featuring the people that are making block solutions a revolutionary reality in the built world, operating in an environmentally, socially, and economically sustainable way. Now if you haven't already listened to part one and part two of this conversation on construction blocks made of recycled plastics, that's okay. We encourage you to check out those episodes and enjoy learning how this building product was created and how it's being used to build around the world in places that were previously thought to be out of reach. In today's episode, I'm very excited to introduce you to Dr. Les Sneed, a longtime activist for equality within the construction industry and an excellent example of how the built world can make a positive impact on people and communities. With his charming southern drawl and humble charisma, he has a knack for building connections with powerful allies, which has allowed him to make a very big difference in his hometown and across the globe, from creating jobs to providing affordable homes to bringing infrastructure to countries where the internet had never been available before. Today he is spearheading efforts to bring new building methods and products to the U.S. that will make a huge difference for our climate, economy, environment, and the stability of the most vulnerable citizens. Now make sure to listen to the other two parts of this series, and please enjoy. Les, share with me your background and your experiences as a builder. I come from North Carolina, real terrible place. You know, mom, eight kids, single parent, dirt road, grew up poor, working three jobs. So as I began my career back in 79, I I saw where I could make an impact in the trade that I learned in construction. First year out of high school, um, got a contract in metal stud framing. And uh, demandable petition was a new product had just come to the United States. And uh, I was one of the first African Americans that uh, learned the product so well. The gentleman that owned the company, CEO and founder, brought me in at 17, 18 as a subcontractor, working people in my community, helping them to make more money. That moment, at that time, it was two dollars an hour <laughs> back in the 70s. Telling my age, but yeah, it was. Uh, he started me at 450 an hour. And everyone I hired and trained up under me and worked for me when I started subcontracting, they was making five, six dollars an hour. So it made an impact on people's lives. So I saw what the difference of, you know, employment would do in training someone to make in the individual's life. And that was when you were a teenager. Teenager. And so what was the evolution from there? Where were the next steps, the experiences that you had to get you to where you are today? Well, I, I began to do um, commercial drywall, malls, hospitals, restaurants, banks throughout the state of North Carolina. I lived in a little town close to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, in Camp Lejeune, and I began to do some research to see what the federal government, the federal contracts, the difference that it made. And I started a, a federal contracting company back in 1982 probably one of the first minority disadvantaged contractors in the United States. Hmm. And with the Davis-Bacon Act, uh, working with the U.S. Department of Labor, now studying $10 an hour, I can give them $15, $20 an hour mm-hmm. for the same trade. So it made sense to me, you know, since I had a job training tr- program and job placement, was to employ uh, people that had been incarcerated, uh, paroled and probation, working with President Clinton later on with welfare to work, working women, take them off of welfare, 
had thousands of women throughout the state of North Carolina will wear fur to work. The U.S. Department of Labor, U.S. Department of Energy wrote my curriculum for the first job training program along with one other nonprofit that was actually in Michigan had wrote. This was before uh, Youth Built and a lot of other uh, programs out there whenever I started with, um, with HOPE, H-O-P-E, helping other people excel. I can see that you had a lot of opportunities. What were some of the problems that you had run into before those kind of things happened? Well, it, it wasn't the labor force. It wasn't the jobs. What problem I, I had was at first was a lot of the contractors that was getting, using these uh, federal dollars that they wasn't using the money like it's supposed to have been spent according to the federal government and U.S. Department of Labor. They had to advertise in the newspaper that they need a drywall hanger or a welder or electrician or a plumber. They were actually advertised for those particular trades but when the people come to them, there was no documentation that they hired them. And so U.S. Department of Labor at that time was in North Carolina that they would contact me and that we can put laborers on their jobs. So I use actually my projects as a federal contract as well as contracts for other contractors throughout the state of North Carolina. What was the reason that this was so important to you? Is it just your background or was there something more that drove you to give these people opportunities and to take care of the people that you focused your trades on or your job opportunities on? Well, I knew construction back in the 70s and 80s and some of the 90s was well-paying jobs back then. A lot of people didn't have to have an education to make good money to make restitution for their, their problems that occurred in their lives. You know, working with uh, parole and probation, a lot of gentlemen in my, in my community, you know, if they couldn't pay $100, they're going to jail. You know, if they can't pay a lawyer, they're going to jail. And so my experience was, okay, I'm going to help the people. I'm going I'm to help the people do what I can to help them make restitution for whatever need that is. Uh, and that's when Welfare to Work started. I actually petitioned the North Carolina Department of Transportation on cleaning the state highways. And they gave me statutory authority to uh, start a company cleaning the highways throughout the state. 188,000 miles using welfare recipients. So it happened, the billboard industry came in and they had to stop, but they um, made a commitment to me, gave me their word. Uh, the Deputy Secretary and the Secretary, Garland Garrett, promised me that they would pass that bill in the legislature. And uh, less than a year and a half later, it did pass in the state legislature on, in their uh, Department of Transportation bill. So a law that was passed to allow commercialization on the right-of-way. And I, that was a statewide program that I had launched. And uh, now every state in the union actually used Adopt the Highway because of that one statute that was passed in the state of North Carolina to allow commercialization. In other words, every billboard that was in the, on the right-of-way had to move, the billboard had to move them off the right-of-way because they were uh, using the, the right-of-ways for their advertising. Uh, so they made a lot of money, still making money, a lot of money to maintain their highways. In my community, where I went to school, my mom dropped me off the first day of uh, kindergarten. I ended up, Board of Education in my community, in my county, ended up giving me that school for a dollar a year. Total campus. I started first 24-hour child care uh, because with work for us to work, a lot of parents would be on third shift. So I ended up starting the first 24-hour daycare center, child care center in the state of North Carolina. Partnered with uh, the community colleges. They allowed me to use their community college as well as we call it Department of Social Services or DFACS here. If I wanted to go in and, and uh, interview uh, women that was on welfare, the, the caseworkers would call them in. I, I've had, the, I remember back in the first one I did was in Brunswick County, North, uh, North Carolina, near Wilmington, North Carolina. Had over 135 women in one day apply for jobs 
and they hadn't hadn't seen anything like that. Yeah. And uh, it really impacted their lives. I think 2000, when Floyd came through, I just started the daycare I was telling you about, and um, I heard this on television, uh, this city called Princeville, North Carolina. I didn't know what it was. I went, visited, found out it was the first African-American city in the United States that was incorporated in the whole nation. Well, founded by slaves, and they, Princeville was back in a bowl, Mm. And it was swampland, so they migrated down the Tar River to this little city, Mr. Prince. Started Princeville, and when Floyd came, it flooded out the whole city, 21 uh, feet of water for seven days. But anyway, I, I went down there the next day and talked with the city manager and ended up with, with FEMA coming in. And the city manager knew nothing about my experience and what I've been doing during my career. Ended up, before I leave, I'm the project manager. <laughs> so that's how I ended up being the project manager for that particular city that found out that my family was a part of that movement of those, those slavery, and that's how I got to Africa. And when I went back to West Africa in uh, Benin, right. I met Marcus. Went to Finland and visited Finland uh, and Marcus uh, with Block Solutions because I, at that point I was there to, to, to the mayor of, of Cotonou have given me land to build schools and sit and houses on. And we wanted to find a sustainable way to build an affordable way to build um, houses. So when they came back, that was a solution that I adopted. And then we went into Nigeria, the same thing uh, with, with, um, with that. And that's how we, I end up with COVID and end up here in Atlanta because I couldn't travel back and forth to, to Africa. As uh, Mr. Marcus was saying about, you know, he actually started in Africa. That's how we started actually got into Ghana after Benin and Nigeria and then Ghana and then Egypt, and then it starts spreading from there. So you focused a lot of your effort on underserved communities, but you've also spent a lot of your time and energy being focused on eco-positive. Talk to me about why that was something that was important, and how did that come? Was that something that you were interested in from the very beginning, back when you were a teenager, or was it even a part of the conversation at that time? How did that evolve? Well, I've always been concerned with our environment, with the amount of waste that I see going to the landfill every single day. And with uh, our climate change that's going on in, in the world, and the United States is one of the you know, biggest um, participants in helping with the way we do things here with plastic. Uh, you mean the negative participants, one of the biggest contributors <laughs> to the problem? Yes, to the problem. Okay. Yes, yeah. yes. And, um, you know, I, I knew it had to be a, a solution that, that we could, and when I... Um, Found, found Marcus and we talked to him about his product and how we can help save, especially in my home country in the United States. You know, just that as a contractor, that the, the cost of building wasn't on-time on, on high at 50% as it is now. I mean, we're talking about the last 50 years. We hadn't seen the construction industry escalate and grow like that. So a 50% more waste means 50% more cost. Mm-hmm. So we can find a solution that, that, um, that like Block Solution, what I saw would be a benefit to helping people uh, with sustainability and homes, help our climate, you know, help with uh, affordable housing. I, I saw there was a great need, and that's when I, you know, met with um, um, VA, which I've been working with them for many years, uh, some of the federal contracts. And when, in North Carolina, I was actually the um, a pastor and still pastor for many years, and we were the Black Pastors Association for North Carolina. I had uh, North Carolina and South Carolina. And so I got to meet a lot of people, know a lot of people throughout the U.S. and met with me and know a lot of 
you know, agencies. So I think everybody wants, regardless of what side of the fence they're on the door, we need to help people. And that's my goal, that's my job, is to bring hope, you know, to help people. That's where my acronym for hope comes from, is helping other people excel. July 21st and 22nd, we had our uh, meet and greet. It was a very successful meet and greet, uh, first time. Uh, here in Atlanta, Marcus uh, Silverberg came. And, uh, most of all, my uh, corporate team from Columbia, about eight of them came from Columbia to be a part of it, the product lunch here. They believe in it. They're working with the government. We have the government and military there. The new president already got a message for him yesterday uh, from his colleague, one of his colleagues, uh, his leaders in his, in his campaign, contacted my contact uh, in Washington, D.C. now. I got to go to Washington next week. That uh, waited for me to come to September for our product launch. Uh, also, part of Block Solutions, Dominican Republic came to be a part of um, the um, July uh, the U.S. Uh, product launch for Block Solutions. So, uh, Trinidad, Haiti, they they showing up. We excited about helping people. They have a huge need of, of, of housing. United Nations is being a part of it. They they um, jumping on board as well as a bill that was passed by President. Um, uh, Biden and Harris for affordable and sustainable housing has some things in, with um, manufacturing as, as well as homeless um, in the homelessness. Sometimes it feels like these efforts are just a, a drop in the ocean and that there's so much bigger a problem than we have the ability to solve. Do you feel that way that you're just making a small impact or do you see that you're making a big impact? I, I see that I can make a big change, uh, impact. One, because, you know, how can a kid where I come from, <laughs> the hood I come from, can have this kind of vision. I know it didn't come from me. I, I believe and know that we can. End, I can end homelessness, literally, one house at a time or one block at a time and give them sustainable and affordable housing uh, and not talking about many years. Right now, there is no solution to homelessness. Throughout the United States and also throughout the world, in Colombia, it's the same problem. I met with the general. We actually put our first uh, model home on the military base in, in Bogota, which is the capital, and uh, uh, 24th. 25th of uh, September, you, and the government here is, is definitely you know talking and want to do some do the same thing, especially here in my home. That's why I feel so proud yeah. and believe having that support of the federal government and the states and, and nonprofits that's supporting the effort that's and, looking, and looking for a solution. What is the future that you visualize if people get on board and these things move forward the way that you want? What do you see as the future? It's got to do with employment because. You know, having a home uh, is important. I, I, I call it housing first. Uh, the traditional way to end homelessness is going through counseling and substance abuse and other things. My vision is give them a home first. When I was growing up, the social worker came to my mom's home, you know, knocked on the door, called her name. She, they knew where she lived. You can't reform someone if they don't have somewhere sustainable, affordable way to live. We, we take them through those processes. I'm, and I, I've done it before through my ministry. And then they go right back on the street because they don't have a place to call home, an address. Right. And that's my vision. My goal is to give them an address called Housing First. What does success look like? Homes and jobs. If there's homes a home, there's a job. It's a job that's home. They get one, build one. Um, I got veterans working with me now, been working with me for, for many years. They're excited. Also, we have another program that we're implementing um, that I think is the next level to uh, affordable housing and jobs. That's going to really, really support the veterans. The veterans have total support from the VA. I've already spoke with them for veteran ownership. They got support through SBA, through VA, that they can use their benefits. So those are programs that we already got implemented. Just waiting on a few things to happen so we can actually launch our first one in Athens. 
if people hear this and they get excited about this, they want to be a partner to you or they want their contractor, what is your call to action for those people? How do they become a part of this if they want to be involved? I mean, it is a win-win to everybody. If it's a municipality and, and uh, they want to clean up their communities, it's a benefit to them. It's also homeless shelters because right now, it costs a lot to house of one person. And our business model, they will cut their costs at least 60% because of insurance, because of, of light utilities, and, and a lot of other things that goes into having a stick, a brick and mortar, uh, but having this kind of project that's gonna put people in one place, that they have an HOA uh, model, that they have their own HOA within their communities within their instant living community. So they run their own communities. And because they, they, they do it now out on the street, <laughs> believe it or not, they have a, their own system within the, the communities. And our system will be similar to that and give them ownership. And the system that you're talking about, is this a neighborhood that you're, you've got in mind? Talk to me about the system that you're talking about. The system is called instant living. Uh, instant living is uh, instant living. We can build a house in four hours. The communities, it's uh, a group of them. They have their own toilets, showers um, with, with uh, solar energy. Um, all, every home has solar energy on it. They have Wi-Fi within the community. They have a community kitchen in each community. Athens will be our first one. We have 60 units there working with Habitat. Uh, be our first model. Uh, second, we're looking at Fulton County. So Fulton County, then I think it's about three, 300 homes in Fulton County that we're looking at wow. with some of the ones here. So once we get that, for instance, if, if someone, they go on the, online on their phone, everyone has a phone out there. We, I've set the assessment. We did, I mean, they have phones. So they can go on our website and actually apply. Uh, very simple. A few questions that we ask them uh, in our assessment, and uh, they qualify for their home. Uh, that they will work and, and learn this trade. They become uh, bricklayers. We'll certify them as bricklayers, as trainers, and they help us build Atlanta. So we have transportation for them. They don't have transportation. We make sure we, we, we with, with our transportation system, we have them going to and from work. So it's a total system, not just a home. We have a program that we can, we can make it sustainable and affordable as well as secure and safer for them out there. Share with me, why is stability sustainability? Stability is actually safe or secure. You know, I'm safe in my home. I'm, st I'm stable. <laughs> On the street, I promise you, I wouldn't be stable. Right. You know, watching who's looking, who, where, where I am, the weather conditions, especially with COVID. So it's not stable in these tents under a bridge or on a park bench as we see them. And, you know, that's nothing stable about that. But sustainable is putting them in um, a plastic waste house. That plastic that was used for their house didn't go to the landfill or didn't go to the ocean or the river, but take that plastic and make a block with it, you know, that they can live in and make a living with it. That's taken sustainable and and, and, and affordable as well as uh, all the other solutions that, that's needed to help support a family or person or individual. Yeah, there's a real synergy that you've got the opportunity to recycle plastic into a building material to build so that people have a place to call their own, that you're also training up a workforce. Lord knows we've got a work shortage, especially in the construction industry, especially in our area, and you're giving somebody the stability to, to rebuild their lives. I would imagine that there's a lot of people who will be hearing this. Maybe they're not going to be in a position to partner with you. Maybe they're not contractors, um, but they still want to support this. They want to help the momentum of this movement. What's a way that those people can get involved and be a part of this? Everyone has a passion, whether it be helping people or feeding, you know, counseling. Everyone has a part. We're here for a purpose. And I, I think meeting a person where they are 
and especially when if they see the need of a community, and most people do, they just don't have a solution, an answer for that, that problem. But I think when we come together as one, you know, get one, reach one, you know, don't give them a fish, but teach them how to fish. I think we all, it's gonna take everybody. It's not gonna take one person, I'm just one. I know I can't do it by myself, mm -hmm. and won't even won't try. But I believe we all work as one together. I, I believe we all can, can clean up and help a lot of our communities and people and give them a better life. Give us the ways that people can get in touch and find out more about it, where the websites, where the phone numbers to reach out to you. They can reach me at Veterans Community, hopeveteranscommunity.org. Uh, also, you can reach me at blocksolutionus.com. Uh, my phone number here in Buckhead uh, in Atlanta Tech Village. I've been here now for about 10 years. And the phone number here is 678-278-9557. Um, Again, 678-278-9557. Uh, I'd love for them to be a part of it, to give us a call and see what we can do in their communities. Thank you for joining us, friends, for another serving of common sense. This was not complicated, just green. Sponsored by Creative Interface Architecture and Interiors. Redefining the impact of great design, one client at a time. Check us out at www.creativeinterface.design.